Wednesday night, I, I preached the back half of the sermon I'm going to preach today. So if you didn't get this, you missed the first six points Wednesday night. But that's okay, because I'm going to, I'm going to retouch those in a different story real quick for you. Is that okay? All right. So, so the, the title of the sermon is simply this, the best way to predict your future. The best way to predict your future. And I put in parentheses, create it. The best way to predict your future is not go down here where you see some sign with a palm on it. Your best way is not to buy some, some uh, moon rock where you feel like you can rub on it every night. It makes you feel like I know what I'm supposed to do. The best way that you can predict your future is to create it. It's always been the motto, and if you want to know one of the key secrets of my life, as I study the Bible, this is a key component, is being able to create what you have in your heart to have. And so let me show it to you. Wednesday night, we used the story of Elijah, and Elijah had two different scenarios in which he really was, was stuck, and we call this nothing or nowhere. Uh, nobody likes to be in that, in that moment of nothing. If, if, you, if you work on a car, if you're a mechanic, you work on a car, and you're like, okay, I think this is what's wrong. We changed this out. We've done this. And there comes that moment where you sit in the car, and you're like, all right, cross your fingers. Because sooner or later, you've got you to turn the key. Sooner or later, you've got to test it, and you turn it, and nothing. That's one of the most disheartening because it's like, I've done everything I know. I don't know. You have to kind of back up. You walk around like, what did I not do? What did I, you know, maybe I didn't put gas in it. I've heard people come back and say that. We did everything and didn't realize nobody put gas in it. But there are those moments in your life. I've written sermons and, and, and man, write that sermon all week and just be like, yes, this one right here is going to blow the roof off. And I preach it and you look at me like you're looking at me right now. And it's like, Really? That's it? I got up for that? And I, and I think to myself all the time, that is the hardest place to be, is in a place where nothing is happening. I, I've done my best, but nothing is happening. And nothing is a place you don't want to get stuck. Nothing is not a place where you want to live. One of my favorite poems is by Henry Longfellow. I love Longfellow's work. And one of his poems is called The Builders. And, and here's what it says. The first stanza goes like this. All are architects of fate, working in these walls of time, some with massive deeds and great, some with ornaments of rhyme. He said, so in this world, there are all types of people, some that seem like doing great things, some that seem like, hey, they're just like ornaments hanging on a tree, but everybody is doing something. In other words, that's the key. Everybody is moving in something. Everybody, if it's just raising a child, if, if, it's, just, if it's just being a good co if it's just being a good son or a good daughter, if it's just being a good parent, everyone, whether you're, you're, you're some great person on the news or you're some person that nobody knows. Everybody's doing something. And here's what he says in this second stanza. Nothing useless is or low. Everything in its place is best. And what seems but idle show strengthens and supports 
the rest. And it goes on, but I love that, that mindset. Even the stuff it seems like it's not important. Even the stuff it seems like, well, who cares if I do this? Down the road, it's impacting a life. Down the road, it's changing a future. Down the road, it's creating something. And so in life, we need to, to grasp this. Let me give it to you in a few more sayings. There is nothing useless as doing efficiently that which should not be done at all. The successful person places more attention on doing the right thing rather than doing things right. In other words, it's, it's a mindset. Let me give you some of the people through history who spoke on this. One guy says this, uh, uh, George Shaw says, a life spent making mistakes is not only more honorable, but more useful than a life spent doing nothing. This is the key to life. He says, one, one writer says this, William Shakespeare says, nothing comes from doing nothing. Dennis Watley says it this way, life is inherently risky. There is only one big risk you should avoid at all costs, and that is the risk of doing nothing. Whenever you talk about great people, it's not that they don't make mistakes. It's not that they didn't have errors. It's not that they didn't fall down and have to get up. It's the fact that they had one thing that stuck in their crawl that changed them from everything else. I cannot sit here and do nothing. As long as you're doing nothing about it. As long as you see your kids in the situation, but you do nothing. As long as you see your marriage, but you do nothing. As long as you see things the way they are, and you choose to do nothing. Here's why one person says it. You remember this one. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do... Do you get it? Over and over, this is the statements. Over and over, this is what we have. Aristotle said it this way, criticism is something we can avoid easily. Anybody like to know how to avoid being criticized? I mean, nobody likes to be talked about on Facebook. Nobody likes criticism. Nobody, nobody likes that. Let me tell you, the easiest way to never be criticized, to never have to worry about whether people are talking about you, whether people are, are thinking bad things, criticism is something we can avoid easily by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. So if nobody's criticizing you in this room, nobody knows who you are and nobody is affected by you, it's a good reason. You're doing nothing. If you're doing nothing with your kids, they don't pay you no attention. But if you're up in their business, oh, they're always paying. They, they, they don't like you. They're, they're criticizing you. Other parents don't do what you're doing. You don't check my phone. You don't do this. That's all right. You know what? I wasn't born to do nothing. It's real easy. Just do nothing. Margaret Thatcher said it this way. Look at a day when you were supremely satisfied at the end. Look at a day when you were just, wow, this was a good day. It's not a day when you lounged around doing nothing. It's a day you had everything to do and you got it done. Those are the days you sit down at the end and you say, we accomplished something. Now, this is important because in the spiritual walk, it works the same way. Now, let me give you quickly the six, but I'm going to use a different story, not Elijah. We're not talking about him calling down fire. We're not talking about him hiding in a cave. 
And if you want to hear that and connect them, you can go back online, a podcast, and you can hear Wednesday night sermon. I urge you to do it. But go with me to Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28, and let me show you first the first six. And I'm not going to preach on these. I'm just going to reiterate them because, like I said, I've done done it. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to a region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him saying, Send her away. For she keeps crying out after us. She won't be quiet. She just keeps following us and she keeps crying and, and she won't leave us alone. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs. Now that's not the thing you would want your pastor to say. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. I could go to a hundred stories in the Bible. I can pull up the life of Joseph. I can pull up the life of David. I can, I can go to hundreds of places in the Bible and teach you these things. There'll be nine of them at the end, but let me show you the first six that we covered Wednesday. Number one, and you can write these down. You must, to avoid getting stuck in nothing, to avoid your life being stuck in nothing, where nothing is moving, nothing's happening, nothing seems to be changing. Number one, you've got to learn to believe promises over the proof. You've got to learn to get a hold of a God word and this woman had this understanding, is that she wasn't, that it wasn't for her. That was the word given to her. That was the proof. Jesus says, I wasn't sent to y'all. But in her mind, she knew the promises that he could heal. She knew the promises that were upon his life, that if this is the Messiah, if this is the one I've heard about, then he can heal my daughter. He has power over all of this. So she believed promises over the proof that was staring her in the face. The disciples said, Let, tell her to go away. Jesus says, I'm not here for you. They ignore her the whole time. The, the proof that she's looking at says, you don't belong here. Go home. But she had a promise that she would not let go of. Number two, you're going to have to learn this, is that you must remain in position. Whatever position you are in, whether it's in a prayer position, it's in a, in a giving position, it's in a, in a I'm going to keep working position, whatever it is, don't change your position once God's put you somewhere. We, we, we love the a book War Room or the movie War Room. And what it was, she created a place. And once she started praying and once she had a picture on the wall, she continually stayed at it. What she was showing, she didn't change her position by what was going on around. This woman understood this. Listen, she was becoming a nuisance. She, everybody was telling her, you are a nuisance. You need to quit. But you may tell you what she said, I ain't changing you need to go away. 
I ain't changing. I'm still going to stay right here behind you. Would you heal my daughter? I need you to heal my daughter. Please heal my daughter. And the disciples are like, Jesus, would you tell her to go away? She is just bothering the stew out of us. And she's like, I don't care what you say. I'm not letting go. I'm not changing my position. Well, I don't want to bother Pastor Lot. Well, you ain't going to get your miracle then. You better learn to bother Pastor Lot. I don't care what Pastor Lot's doing. I'm telling you, he's my pastor, so I'm calling him. I don't care if it's 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning. I don't care if it wakes him up. I don't care if it disturbs him. I don't really give a hoot. I just know this. I need Pastor Lot. I need somebody to come pray. See, you're never going to change anything as long as you're willing to let go of your position. The enemy believes that you always will. That's what he said about Job. If you change his condition, he'll change his position. If you change how you're treating him, he'll start cursing you instead of praying to you. And and God said, go ahead and test him. Why? Because he believed that Job would not change his position. Number three, we ain't got time for this. We're just running through it. Learn that small clouds bring big miracles or small events. When the disciples looked at Jesus and said, tell her to go away. Did Jesus do it? Jesus could have easily turned around and said, woman, that's enough now. Go away. No, he told her. He said, he said I wasn't sent to these people. He told her, look, I, it's not right that I give to the dogs what's meant for the children. But he never told her, go away. So to her, you never said I couldn't. I love those old sayings where, where, where the boy asked the girl, hey, will you go out with me? She says, I don't think so. And he looks at her with a smile and says, so you're saying there's a chance. In other words, you didn't slap me, cuss me out, and tell me to get lost. You just said, not right now. That means there's a chance, right? It means I'm not through yet. It means, it means I'm still in the game. That's the way she has the mentality. She said, I ain't changing my position. Why? Because I've learned that even the little things lead to big things. Number four. Know the difference between insulated and isolated. you got to learn the difference because when you're trying to accomplish something, it's very easy to feel isolated. Nobody wants me here. Nobody wants me at this church. Nobody wants me in their group. Nobody likes me. I get sick and tired of people always whining about who don't like you. and who. Listen to me very carefully. If you're in the presence of God... You're being insulated, not isolated. That's why the Bible tells us, if God be, who dare be? So every situation, if God is with you, he's always insulating you, never isolating you. You may feel lonely, but you're never alone. You may feel like nobody cares, but there's always someone that cares. Never take on the position of isolated. It would have been easy for her to look around. The disciples don't want me here. Jesus doesn't call me a dog. I mean, it's, it's nobody, nobody wants me here. I feel so isolated. I feel like nobody loves me. I'm just going to go try another church. I'm just going to find me another Savior. I'm just, no. She understood one thing. I'm still in his presence. He still can hear me. Doesn't Jesus give us this story when he says a king who has the power to change anything, he said, 
One day this woman came to him and just kept nagging and just, and just kept bothering him. And, and, and he's the king. He can have her killed. He can, he can do what he bury her in the backyard and use her for fertilizer if he wants to. But he lets her keep coming. And every time she comes, now, now, king, you know you can fix this, and I need you. And he should go away. Next time, who I got on my docket? Oh, it's that woman again. Oh, man. And the Bible says, you know what? He eventually does exactly what she wants done. Not because even he wanted to. Because he knew if he didn't, she was not going to quit. And was going to drive him crazy. Some of you husbands know exactly what I'm talking about. You just want us to go ahead and get it done. And whether you wanted to or not, just get it done. You want to live in peace? Yes. You, you understand it. And God says, I work the same way. If you would learn the difference between isolated and insulated. Number five, don't neglect the natural or you miss the supernatural. God will always use natural in the process of your supernatural miracle. Let me see if I can. When I talked about Elijah, Elijah had to eat twice and sleep twice before he could make 40-day journey on just that meal. But he had to eat it. There's a natural side. When there's days when you feel like, I'm not sure there's a God, what, is, what does David tell you to do? Go outside. And look at the skies. God uses the natural. How many times have you been wanting something or, or hoping for something? And, and it's something like something on the nature channel comes up or, or, or something that you, you, just, you just like, you, you see something in nature and you just see a bird sitting on. God says, I've used the natural to lead you to the supernatural. And Jesus does this. Jesus says, let me just tell you something natural. He says, dogs don't eat at the table. He says, listen, lady, you've watched the nature trail. You've seen it on National Geographic. People sitting at the table don't have the dog up there unless you're real weird. And there's a few of those, but most normal people don't have that. And she could have said, you're right, they don't. But she said, oh, but I remember the nature channel. She said, she said I remember because there's always that kid, you know, that, that loves the dog. And, and, and even though there's food on the table, that kid going to stick that little bit of, of something underneath and make sure that Rover gets something to eat. That's why the dog stays under the table. Hey, if I come to my house, listen, this no doubt. If I come to my house, Charlie is my dog. No doubt. Whatever Caitlin says to you, she's just, she's just blowing smoke at you. We can sit on the couch, and I can sit on one end, and Caitlin on the other, and I can say, come here, Charlie. And she, he, she'll, she'll leave Caitlin, come over, and it just drives them crazy. But see, what they don't know is this. I'm the one that also goes to the refrigerator. And when I get up and go to the refrigerator, guess who goes with me? And Charlie, when, I, when I'm sitting there at the two doors of that refrigerator, Charlie's sitting right there. And I'm like, Charlie, you can't eat what's in this fridge, right? This is for this is for us. Yeah, but while you chewing on that chicken leg, some crumbs might fall off, and you might just be eating part of it and think, "Shoot, Charlie, don't tell nobody." And me and Charlie are tight because Charlie knows that there's a good chance that something good is going to fall from the table. She said, "Yeah, I've watched the National G." She said. And I've watched that when it's a faithful puppy, 
a faithful little dog, usually stuff seems to fall off the table and get to them. She said, yeah, I've watched that too. Don't neglect the natural or you'll miss your supernatural. Number six, you must be able to tell God's voice from other noises. You've got to be able to tell. She knew if I could just get him to speak the words, and Jesus does. She says, woman, your faith is incredible. Whatever it is you wanted, whatever it is you asked for, I just gave it to you. That's how you see moving from nothing into something. Now, I'm going to show you three more today. Is that okay? And I don't have to go far. We're going to go to the very next story. Go to verse 19. Verse 29. Verse 29. And through verse 38. So I want you to realize that, that in my life, I hope that you notice I'm very spiritual. But there's also process that has to go with it. And if you neglect the process, I don't care how many times you get spiritual. You're going to miss it. They have to run together. If you try to do process without spirit, you see, like the lady, she has to have a process, a mindset. Elijah has to have a process, and a, but he also has to have the spiritual. And I could have all the spirit. Elisha could just say, I'm just going to sit here until God, and, and not do anything and not go tap the right king and not go uh, anoint Elisha to be his, not do what the father says, and he would have missed it. They have to run together in your life. We like to pick the one that's comfortable to us. So let me show you what Jesus does to help us in this situation. Let's read. Jesus departed from there. Now, he just did this miracle, so the disciples have just seen this. They ought, ought to be understanding how this process works. They ought to understand, okay, this is how he does business. Skirted the Sea of Galilee and went up on a mountain and sat down there. This is a desert place and, and, and just a mountain area away from the city. He skirted along Galilee. He passed through several cities, but eventually he decides, nope, we're going to go up to that mountain. And then great multitudes came to him, having with them lame, blind, mute, maimed, and, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the, the mute speak, the, the maimed made whole. Now that is, I wish I had an hour right there. The maimed made whole. That means body parts restored. Not just healing of cancer, a leg growing back. And we just talk about, I mean, when they write this stuff, it's just like, okay, the mute spoke. The maimed made whole. The lame walked and the blind could see and they glorified the God of Israel. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat and I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Then the disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness? Notice where he's took them now in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude. Jesus said to them, 
how many, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks and broke them and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled and they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now those who were were 4,000 men besides women and children, anywhere from six to to 10,000 people. An incredible miracle. Now I've showed you these processes and we we could implement them into this story too if I needed to. But we've already covered six of them. I want to show you three more that are very important on the process of how Jesus does business. Number one, or number seven for you. Number seven, the master will always expose your nothing. If you're going to be around Jesus, if you're going to want to walk with him, let me tell you what Jesus is going to do. And either you're going to get used to it or you're going to get real good at staying away from him. You may say, I'm following him, but not close enough where he can actually get a hold of you. There's a difference. I can live my life where I'm getting a hold of God and getting something ever saw, but it's a totally different animal when God is close enough to get a hold of me. And so what Jesus does, he says, listen, as the master, I am always going to expose your inefficiency. I'm always going to expose what's like. So think about the multitude. What did he expose? They had to willingly go get lame people. They had to willingly go get their cousin who was missing a leg. They had to go get their aunt who couldn't speak. They had to, they had to bring it out. Jesus said, I'm not coming to your house. You're going to have to bring it up to the mountain. You're going to have to bring it up here, and we're going to expose it. So they had to march up. Well, who is this? Well, this is my aunt so-and-so. What's wrong with us? She can't talk. She's been this way. Well, I wonder what she did wrong. I don't, I, I don't want to get into all that. I, I just know she's, she's mute. She can't talk. And, and so they have to openly expose themselves to Jesus. And Jesus is there to heal and Jesus is there to deliver. Listen, most people will never see what they want to see from God because as long as God would do it in secret and where nobody has to know about it and where you don't have to bring it to an altar and tell somebody, where you don't have to be honest about it, where you can just say, I have a special need. You know, I've never in my life took up any type of prayer request of a special need. I never heard of such a thing. That's the dumbest thing. I'm going to tell you where that comes from. People with no faith and no exposure. You got something you need, stand up and tell me what it is. Well, I got an unspoken. Well, keep it unspoken in. Because life and death is in the power of the unspoken. No, it's in the power of your tongue. You need to get to talking about it. Yeah, but if I talk about it, it embarrasses me. If I talk about it, 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 it it's, 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 it, it's bad. If I talk about it, yeah, it is. That's the whole point of it. That's what he's going to do. The master is always going to expose. That's why it's very hard for people that are in, in drug situations or, or in jail situations to recover. Why? Because they have built their life trying to hide. They've built their whole life trying to twist the truth. That, you know, I had one of them walk up to me or somebody walked up to me here at, at, at the men's thing and, and he's part of a recovery group and that's wonderful. And he come up to me and he was just talking, talking, talking. And, 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 and he said, he said, what do you think about all that? I said, I said, let me tell you some advice. I said, God gave you two ears and one mouth. 
I said, you need to learn to listen twice as much as you talk. He didn't talk to me no more that day. I don't know. Maybe it was something I said. But the problem was, you won't shut up. You keep wanting to twist it and everybody think the way you, like, well, here's what's really happening. No, I, I know you. I, 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 everybody's done tell me about you. I know you. You're the only one who keeps twisting it. But the moment you can throw up your hands and say, this is where I'm at. This is who I am. This is my situation. Then that's when change can happen in your life. To the people, it's healing. To the disciples, it's compassion. I love how Jesus starts this off. He looks at the disciples. They're on a mountain. There is no food. He says, guys, I feel really, really, my heart's really going out for these people. And I feel like we need to feed them. Well, that's great, Jesus. No, I feel like we need to do something about it. And what does it expose? Well, we don't have enough. See, Jesus is going to put you and expose that nothing moment of your life. Well, what are we going to do? I don't know. What's the answer? I don't know. I've stood in hospital rooms where diagnoses have been given and, and the people look at me and say, Pastor, what are we going to do? And I, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I look them right in the eye and I say, I don't know. I tell you what we're not going to do. And then I go to my list. We're not changing our position. We're not worried about what the proof says. We're holding to promise. I can go back through my whole list and say, this is how we're going to walk through this. But it does not save me from the moment when God is going to make me be honest and say, this is where I'm at. This is where my marriage is. This is where my family is. This is where our kids are. This is, see, as long as you don't want to talk about it, I don't want to talk about it. Remember what I just said? All evil needs is for good people to do nothing. And if you're going to be around Jesus, it won't be a nothing situation. He's going to first drag out of you, well, what's going on? Well, I've got some things. I don't want to talk about them. Okay, when you get ready to talk about them, come see me. It's hard to pray for something in your life when I don't know what I'm praying for. Food, supplies, all of this was, was lacking. Jesus, the master, has put them in a situation that they can't heal themselves. They can't feed themselves. They've been there for three days. All they know is they want something. But they don't know how to get it. In my life, and I shared some of the stories, in my life, there's wanting something but not knowing how to get it. Let me see if I can explain it my way. I wanted to be a pastor. When I evangelized, everybody I evangelized would tell me, you're going to be a great pastor one day. I want to be a great evangelist. They said, no, you're going to be a great pastor. 
That's just your personality. And so I knew it. I never wanted to move around. I don't want to travel and move my kids 14 times. I wanted to find a place and I wanted to, okay, that was my, that was what I wanted. And God says, that's what you want? Yes, that is what I want. Then don't change your position. Don't change, even though I may put you in a grocery store pushing buggies, even though I may, I may totally change what you got figured out, I may totally do it differently than just don't change on me. Don't quit on me. Hey, I may get you marry a Methodist girl who knows nothing about the tongues and, and, and the Holy Ghost and all of this stuff, and I may hook you up with her for life. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, God, okay, okay. Don't change on me, Tim. Don't quit on me, Tim. Don't let go. Just, just hold on to what you want and what Whatever I put you through, it's okay. The lady with the wanting to see her daughter healed, notice the situation. God puts us in this. I'm not going to give you what I, what I give dogs. I, I don't care what you call. I just know what I want, and I don't care what I got to go through to get what I want. You will be tested. I'll help you a little bit. Go ahead and look at the person beside you and just tell them, say, you know why you're where you're at? And just smile at them real big and just say, because God wanted you right here. Oh, I've done it to myself, Brother Lot. You don't think God had the power to wake you up in the middle of the night and slap you around and stop you if he'd have wanted to? He could have, but he didn't. Why? It's a good spot. Up on this mountain, nothing to eat. It's a good spot. In that marriage, don't know how you're going to fix it, it's a good spot. At that job, you're about to lose your mind, that's a good spot. Just where I need you. Oh, God, this, God can't be in this. Oh, God's all in it. That's what you're going to learn. The master will always put you in those positions where it was not your plan. First church me and Elise pastored was 80 miles from our house. We drove 80 miles to preach to 20 people once a week. Didn't have no Wednesday night service. Did, those people didn't even hardly like each other too much. And I had to, I had to get used to just that. I had to get. And when we came to Forest, whoo, that was an animal within itself. I remember the first time we went to the fair here in Forest. They had a fair come through. Me and Elise, you know, we're from Starkville. We, we are totally different culture. Things don't smell the same. Nothing. We walk through that little area and that, man, all kind of stuff comes out at night. And God's like, these are your people. And I'm looking at Elise like, we're not in Kansas no more, babe. We are not in Kansas anymore. Woo. One of the first newscasts about Forrest we heard, somebody had killed a kid and Buried them in the backyard or something. They had, I thought, where in the world? We only live like two blocks from there. And I thought, what in the world have you got me into, God? God said, I'm giving you just what you wanted, Tim. I'm like, no, this is not what I wanted. I'm going to be dead by 30. And Elise is going to be eaten by cockroaches because she doesn't claim that. They fly. 
I, I can go through all the stuff. You have to understand, God's going to put, I don't want you to think like, Pastor Lot. No, we all get put in those positions where God says, it's what you want? Yeah, then we're going to do the journey. We're, we're going to go to the debt. We're going to go to the place you're not comfortable. You're going to have to speak it out loud. You're going to you're gonna have to tell it out loud. You're going to have to tell what's scaring you. You're going to have to tell me what's broken in you. You're going to have to talk to me. You're going to have to be real with me. You can't be fake with me. You're just going to have to be honest with me. Even after all these years, I don't, have to, I don't make that stuff up. That's real. I mean, that's was real life, us walking in every day. And it's like, Lord, please don't let it rain because when it rains and big cockroaches come in and Elise goes crazy. And you couldn't stop it because, because we live on gumbo. The doors done been cut off so many times. It's, it's kind of shaped like this through the cuts. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody got? Y'all didn't, didn't spend 20-something years in forest. Y'all don't know nothing about it. Number eight, not only will the master expose your nothing, but the master will make you confront lack. He will make you have to confront lack in your life. You're going to have to be able to come to, to say it doesn't make sense. So you see all seasons now. But when I was on Bank Street and my office would go underwater when it rained, and I was telling people, we're going we're gonna to get out of here, we're going to have a building. We're gonna... I could smile at you and say, I knew what they were thinking. That doesn't make sense. You've been here four years, you can't even get 30 people to follow you. That don't make sense. And they're right. They're absolutely right. It doesn't make sense. I'm on a mountain, and the disciples are told, feed them. It don't make sense. We don't have enough. In any way we figure it, we don't have enough. Even if we could get close to a town, we don't have enough. There's no way, Lord, to feed these people. We can't do it. And those are the hardest moments in life. That's why when somebody says, well, how did you grow that church? I didn't. Because I couldn't do it. How'd you get that? I don't, I didn't do it. And anybody you ever meet that says it any other way, they're lying out of their teeth. If they walk with God, let me tell you, God always constantly kept putting them in positions where they couldn't do it. They couldn't figure it out. They couldn't. That's where the miracles always come. The miracles come when you can't figure it out, but you're still there. When you can't know how it's going to happen, but you hadn't quit. When, when you're the little lady, when people are telling you to give up and Jesus tell her to go, and they're calling you a dog, and you're just still hanging on, and you're just like, oh, yeah, that's okay. I'm waiting for a crumb. I'm hanging. I'm not. When you're in that position, then you really know what happened. Imagine that lady when she went home, and somebody said, well, what happened? Well, Jesus called me a dog. Really? Yeah, they didn't even want me there. Really? Well, how did you get the miracle? I ain't letting go. I had nowhere else to go. Peter would later have to answer the same question when Jesus looks at him and people are leaving. And he looks at Peter and he says, you going to leave me too? And Peter looks at him and I, I mean this honestly. 
If Peter had anywhere else to go, he would have went. Because he's already thought about it. And he looks at him in the eyes and he says, I can't go anywhere else. You're the only ones with the words to eternal life. And Jesus will expose your lack. Your lack of intelligence, your lack of ability, your lack of patience, your lack... It's okay. Because that's how He grows us. That's how we see the things we want to see. That's how you create your future. You don't create your future by... Not, not, not being honest. You don't create your future by doing nothing with it. You don't create your future by... You create your future by deciding, I'm going to create it. How are you going to create your future? I'm going to hold on to His promises. I'm not letting go. Yeah, but he's, He may put you in some... If He puts me in a bad situation. David said it this way, if you take me to hell, you'll be there. If you carry me on the highest places, you'll be there. If, if, no matter what I go through, you'll be there. No matter what I endure, you'll be there. You are my cleft in the rock. You are my shield. You are my fortress. You are my... Sh David, the reason he was who he was because he understood you will be there. Number three, the answer then is always attached to your faith in action. Jesus will expose your lack, but he's also going to expose the lie. Look at the person beside you and tell them to say, there's a lie in your lack. There's a lie in your lack. The lie is, is that it's not enough. The lie is, is that it won't meet the need. The lie is, what good would it do? Let me give it to you in some of the ways you would say it. It won't, it won't help anything. It's not going to change anything if I do that, Brother Lot. Nobody's going to care if I do that. The lie of the lack is that because you have little, you think you can do nothing. When God says, just do what you can with what you have. And don't worry about how far it goes. The lie in the lack is that because I can't fix it all, because I can't do it all, I just won't do anything. And listen to me, that's what the devil's counting on. If you've got a marriage that's struggling, I don't see how we... Well, you can go to a conference. I don't see how that's going to happen. Oh, you mean doing something then wouldn't matter. See, everything in your life is about, well, it won't fix it, so I won't do anything. Listen, I've told you a thousand times, how, how do you build all this? What did I always tell you? As I'm going along, I run out. And what do I always do? I need another two before, Lord. That's what I've always taught y'all. I've taught y'all this. 
I've gone as far as I can go. And God sends somebody. And God sends the next miracle. I've told you how Blasting Point has its flooring. Because it was a dance floor on New Year's Day for a real rich guy in Jackson. And when he got through with it, I get a phone call from one of the guys in our church. And he says, Pastor, you still need some plywood for that? I'm like, yeah, I ain't got no plywood. I can't afford plywood. We need to build a second floor. He said, I think I got you plywood if you're willing to come get it. I said, oh, I'll come get it. How much is it going to cost me? It's free. He said he just wants it out of his backyard. He built like a 60 by 100 foot stage to have a New Year's Eve party. I ended up with all the runners, ended up with all the plywood. Man, you, you talking about me driving down the road with that trailer wobbling in the back, and I'm sitting there, man, I know people thinking, what in the world? And see, I'm like, I got me a miracle. I don't care what y'all think. Hang in there, tires. We got to get to the house. I can tell you a thousand. When, when, even when we got the wood, I still needed a way to put it down. God sent somebody at that time who had nail guns. I'd never even seen a nail gun at that time. And he said, hey, I got all the guns and stuff you need. I said, guns? He's like, yeah, I'll bring them up here and drop them off. And when you're through with them, you just give them back. God had exposed my lack. I had to show people every time. We'd walk back in the back room. And Elise even broke her tailbone back there during that process. Fell through the rafter one time. I'm thinking, Lord, this place is becoming a, oh. What are you going to do back here? Well, one day, if we ever get what we need, we're going to build a, you know. That's all I could tell them. I, I, I know they walked away like, they ain't got money to even finish the building. But God does. God does. The answer is attached to your faith in action. I want you to see this picture, and I'm through. Jesus sits down. He says, what do you have? They said, we have seven loaves of bread and a few fish. Could have been just four or five fish. Could have been two fish. Could have been whatever. Just a few fish. A few dried up little fish. And he said, well, bring them to me. And the Bible says that he told, tell everybody to sit down. And they did. And he told the disciples, now, I'm going to break it and give it to you, and you go give it to them. So Jesus starts tearing the bread, tearing the fish. And Peter would come. Here, Peter. And what would Peter do? Here, here's you some. Here's you some. If I got any more, I'll come back. Here's you some. Ooh, here's you some. Hold on, I'll be right back. Jesus, I need more. And Jesus would... And there's 12 disciples that are constantly running to people and running back for more. Running to people and back for more. And to people and back for more. 
get it in your mind. They didn't, they, Jesus didn't just say, ooh, and, they, and Peter's like, ooh, I got this big basket. I'll be back later. No, they had to go give, and they had to come back, and they kept doing it. And somebody said, do you have any more? Sure, let me go get some more. What do you think happened over time? Eventually, Peter had, had, had given and given, and when he ran out, you think he would look at that next person and say, I don't know if there's anything left. What would he say? I'll be right back. I done been 52 times, and Jesus is still tearing up that little piece of fish. He ain't run out of fish yet. Hold on. And he gets some more fish, and he'd go out. This is the coolest thing in the world. This is so awesome. I don't know how this is happening. Jesus, I need more fish and bread. Okay. By the end of it, everyone was full. And seven baskets of leftovers where people had got full and just laid it down. I don't want no more bread. I'm, I'm full of fish. What was he doing? The answer is attached to your faith in action. My problems never got smaller. My problems have never gotten smaller. The ones today are much bigger than the ones that used to be. Well, what happened, Brother Lot? I've got so used to running and giving away everything I got and going back and getting some more that I've done come to the conclusion that God don't run out. And you will never learn that principle until you learn to live that principle. It may start with as simple as paying tithes. You're like, bro, Lord, if I give $10 out of 100, man, I won't have enough to get... Oh, but then again, you might see your miracle. Maybe it's just showing up faithfully. Well, you know, Brother Lot, you know, we try to spend time together. I know. But if you just do what he's asked you to do and you hold to the word instead of the proof and don't quit acting on your faith, you just might get, in fact, you will get what you've desired. But not by accident. You didn't just have somebody predict your future. God showed it to you. Jesus said, I have a desire that these people will be fed. He saw his future. And then Jesus said, let me show you how we're going to get there. If you're in this room today, you're saying, Brother Lot, you don't know what my marriage is going through. I, I agree. But I know this much. Whatever you got... Whatever you got. I don't care if you can't do nothing, but just smile and hug them and, and cook them dinner at night. I don't care. Whatever you got, you use it. You don't know how bad it is at work, brother. I know. I don't care if you can't do nothing, but tape a scripture down on your desk and people who walk by read that scripture. Well, that's a crazy thing. I don't. Whatever God tells you to do, whatever God is asking you, you say, but that won't make a difference. Are you sure? Because I've built a whole life off of people telling me that won't make a difference.
and watching God say, in my hands it will. In my hands, Tim, miracles happen. But I will never release what I have until you can trust me with what you got. Will you stand? So let me repeat this. The master will expose your nothing. Maybe right now that's what he's doing. It's like, man, who told Pastor Lot about all our junk? And it wasn't your wife and it wasn't your husband, so don't think it was anything. I ain't talked to nobody. Somebody's been telling him about my... No. Let me tell you what the master does. He exposes you. I'm sorry. We call it, well, Pastor Lot stepped on my toes. or No. He can't go any further than first exposing you. And he makes you come to grips with your lack. People don't see all the tears. And they don't see all the times you cry out to him. They don't see all the times that you say, God, I can't. And God, I'm not able. And God, I, I don't see how it's going to work. And God, I'm about to lose my mind. And, and God, I'm, I'm about ready to quit. And God, I, you, they don't see all that. They don't see all the times God just exposes you and says, do you see yourself, Tim? I do. And I can't do it. Then what are you going to do, Tim? I've, I've exposed you. I've, 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 I make you confront it. What are you going to do? I'm just going to act, God, on the little bit that I got. It's all I got, but I'll give it to you. Like the lady who was giving the offering that day when Jesus stopped them and said, did you see that? Lord, people have been dropping money in there. No, no, no. She gave two mites. She gave more than everyone else. What do you mean she gave more? She gave out of her need. See, we miss that part. We always think, well, she gave two. No, no. She gave all that she had out of her Need, her, her want, her desire. She may have had a gas bill and she may have said, they're going to turn my gas off next week. And all I got is two quarters. I got enough gas to get to church and I got two quarters. And when I walk down there today, I'm not giving because I'm trying to help pay the light bill. I'm giving out of my need. I'm giving all I got. That's why I've always said there's a lot of little old ladies and little old men and, and people that you don't know that will get a lot more in heaven than I'll get. I believe that. You believe that, brother? I believe that. Because there's people that give out of their need. 
There's people this morning that, that when they come to an altar, they're, they're coming because, God, I have a need. I have a need, and, and it's bigger than what I have, and I'll give you what I got. The disciples said, it's all we got. Jesus said, start using it. If you're in this room today, this is the way He works. There's a practical and there's a spiritual. The practical is understanding He will expose it. He will make you admit the lack. And if you will attach your faith to what you have and say, God, but I'll give you what I got, then you will see the spiritual, which is Him doing abundantly above anything you could hope or imagine or even believe. That's the story of my life. If you're in this room today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, and God is speaking to you right now, you want to see something changed. There's something you want to see in your future. Maybe it's you want to see your kids here, or you want to see your marriage here, or you want to see one day a job open where you, you're able to do more than you're able to. Whatever it is, it's nothing big or small. It's, it's whatever God at the moment has put in your heart. It may be a miracle that you need to see in your body. It may be whatever it is. I want you to just think, God, what do I have? Expose my feeling of lack. Expose the lie that I don't have anything because I got something I can give. Some way I can, I can press towards you. Some way I can grab hold of you. Some way I can start devotions with my kids, my husband. Some way, I, I know there's something I can do. I, I heard it on the radio last week, and then when I heard it, I said, we need to start doing that. And I haven't done it yet, but I'm fixing to start. I can't keep doing nothing and expect something. I'll start the something. Father, whatever it is, Whatever it is they can release. Whatever it is that they can let go of that releases you. I speak that they do it. In the name of Jesus, I speak courage like those disciples that didn't understand, like that woman who didn't understand it, like Elijah who didn't understand it, but they had faith and they released what they had and saw their miracle. How did they predict their future? They created it. And I speak that over whoever I'm talking to right now. When they leave this room today, actions will follow their faith. Actions will follow their faith. And the miracle is guaranteed. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now let me encourage you. As soon as you can get to some pen, paper, or your phone, you put it in your notes. You write it down immediately what God is speaking to you that you need to go do, even though it seems small. Don't, don't give it a day or two days or three days. You, you act on it now. Because it seems so insignificant that in two days you'll say, uh, it, 
wouldn't have mattered anyway. I don't, that wouldn't have mattered. Don't miss your moment. Whatever it is, it may just be starting to read your Bible again. You've been not, you've been lacking. I don't care what it is. God's told you, you need to get back. Don't miss your moment. All right? I love you. I'm praying for you every day. And I believe God's got miracles. Go give that devil fits.